This is the Apartment Building Investing Podcast with Michael Blanc, episode 117. Let's do this. You're listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast, where we'll talk about all aspects of buying apartment buildings with a special focus on raising money from others. And now, your hosts, Michael Blanc. Hey there, and welcome to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast. I am your host, Michael Blanc. I'm really excited you're here. Today, I want to share with you Anna Simpson's story. Well, she's going to actually talk about her story, who is now a full-time multifamily investor. And like so many of us, we got started in single-family houses. I just love the way that she went from one phase to the next, starting off as single-family houses, expanding her mind, investing passively, expanding her mind again, and getting into syndication. And I just love the way that she just constantly was pushing her outside her comfort zone. And I think you really enjoy this interview with Anna because she really talks about what her limits of her comfort zone was and what she did repeatedly to push herself outside of that. And she's invested passively in, in 1,400 deals. She's done two syndications herself and really, really awesome story inspiring. Let's get right into it with interview with Anna Simpson. Here we go. Anna, welcome to the show today. Hello, Michael. Tell us a little bit about yourself before we dive into your story. Absolutely. So um, I'm coming from Russia over 10 years ago. I have three kids, so life is full. Now I'm a full-time real estate investor, and that's what I do. I was originally investing in uh, single-family homes, and I was a real estate agent, and currently I'm investing in apartment complexes. So that's kind of been a nutshell. Well, fantastic. And so many other people share a similar journey. And sometimes we think, well, maybe we can shortcut these things and maybe we can, maybe we can't. But what prompted you to get into real estate in the first place? Actually, so I had a couple of friends that were actively involved in a real estate organization. They do single family homes and they do apartments. So literally, they were just talking about this for, I want to say, like a year and a half. And I was listening to their success and thinking, well, I mean, that sounds very interesting. So one day I actually came to this real estate group and I met all these people and I remember first coming there and it was like a room full of people buzzing and everybody talking about something so involved and passionate and I felt such a kind of like outsider like what are they talking about so and then fast forward a year later I was like one of these people I was there I was involved networking enjoying some just kind of started really socially just through my friends Wow. So it starts socially. You're like, man, this is pretty interesting. And what got you kind of interested and hooked? I mean, you could have showed up for a meeting or two and said, yeah, that's kind of interesting. And then your life would have gone on. Why did you decide to get into it? Yeah. So I like to kind of prove to myself what I can do. And over there, there were so many successful people. And you really kind of success breeds success. So that's why I always say you want to surround yourself with the right people. So going there really kind of gave me understanding that this is something that's real. You can uh, do it and pretty much anybody can do it. You don't have to be like okay, of any special skills or anything. So you can learn it. So. so what did you decide to do then? What strategy were you pursuing and what kind of investing did you start doing then? Right. So I joined this group and I started with, with single family houses, which is uh, very good. But you kind of feel like uh, you're always uh, on the treadmill. It's one after another. You can scale, I guess but not so much. So I liked it. It was very good. I proved myself. I was very successful there. But really, I kind of felt like a multifamily would be a next step. Houses, multifamily. Before we go there, because I'm, of course, I love multifamily, but I just want to know kind of how you got started. So what kind of investment did you do? Did you buy and hold? Did you flip? What kind of lease options? What were you doing there? Uh, just buy and hold. Just buy, and hold. buy a house, fix the house and hold it for a rental. 
I sold them on and um, it was all good. So just a regular buy, hold, rent out. So Buy and hold, rent. Okay. And then how many did you accumulate before you kind of said, ah, let me look at something a little bigger? Not many, just four. After number four, four was kind of, uh, maybe we can touch on this later. Number four, I didn't buy extremely successfully. Uh, I didn't lose any money. I mean, the market is so amazing here. So, But we can touch on that later. So after number four, I was like, you know, let me look at something else. So you looked at something else and then you immediately thought of multifamily or what was that thought process like after that fourth project? Yes. So going into this fourth project. So this was a house that I overpaid for. And as you know, we make money uh, when we buy. So this one I overpaid. So I was kind of forced to do some project by myself versus like uh, outsourcing. I remember it was New Year's Eve and I was taking care of a uh, style for this house and I was thinking is that why I got in this business so I can just spend my new year's here doing that <laughs> so that was kind of funny and I thought no you know I don't like this type of uh, involvement I don't want to be in this type of business so this kind of like shifted my understanding so to say and I thought you know what I like it to be more like business I like to be treating it as a business and I don't want to work in it I want to work on it so I kind of it made a shift. So I thought, you know, I will complete the project. And it was fine. The market helped me. I actually made uh, good money. But I thought, that's it. Enough is enough. But I will look at something else. And I knew that multifamily is a little bit different. So They are a little bit different. But sometimes we have similar experiences. And I like the fact that sometimes you remember the exact moment where you're like, ah. Right. And I think a lot of people are going to the real meetings every month. And really what they want is they want to get started in real estate investing. So they can quit their job. But then what they do when they actually get into it, what they discover, especially in single family houses, that is actually just replace one job with another. When right. in fact, we're not very clear about what we want and how we're going to get there. And so a lot of us have a very similar experience, kind of like you did, because that's what everybody else did around us. We go to these meetings and that's what everybody did. So of course, we jump right in and then we're actually successful at it. And we're like, darn it, that's not actually what I want. I wanted real estate, but not like that. <laughs> So, That's right. so you're, yeah. you're kind of spending your New Year's Eve kind of going, ah, I got to deal with this problem now. Yeah. And you're like scratching your head going, wait, is this really what I wanted? Uh, yes, but then maybe no. And so you're thinking multifamilies. Why did you think that experience would be any different? Yeah, so basically what I was thinking about multifamilies to start passively. So that's why I thought, look, that's going to be different because here I'm actually working in it and sometimes too much. And I was thinking multifamily, basically I would start passively that way because we did have money. So I thought I would just put my money in there and let someone else do all the work. And I basically would be just, you know, reaping the rewards. So, and I thought I would start there and just see how it goes. So this was my kind of beginning in multifamily. So that's why it looked so much different because I was so involved in houses and this would give me a less of involvement. All right. So you're thinking, well, again, multifamily, it seems like a better idea. Uh, maybe it's more passive, certainly as a passive investor. Right. So you made some passive investments. What did you learn through the process? Oh, it was amazing. So I joined another group also because that group was more kind of uh, concentrating on uh, multifamily only because I, I was pretty successful with houses. So I figured I'd do the same thing because I don't like to create bicycle or anything. So I figured, you know, I will just do the same thing. I will find someone who done it before. And I will just follow into their footsteps. So that's what I did. I joined the, another group, multifamily group, and just started to learn. And then I kind of gave myself two months before I invest. Because sometimes people jump in. And it was funny. I was in a real estate event just two days ago. And this one lady told me, oh, I'm invested in two deals. And I said, how did you choose them? She said, well, these are the first ones that I saw. 
I'm like, that's not a good way to choose. So it's kind of, you really need to learn. And that's what I did for a couple of months. But I did, I chose deal sponsors to invest with. And then I was looking for deals that would come from them. Because uh, really, you just need to choose who you want to partner with. And it's going to be someone right. Choosing right partners, I was able to learn a lot. You know, some people, they're just passive. What I was doing, I was actually asking, can I go with you to the project? Can I take a look? People were gracious enough to allow me, and uh, I learned a lot. And of course, you just see how this genial partner communicates with the limited partners. You learn good and bad, and you kind of think to myself, okay, this is what I would do, this is what I would not do. And just see the projects, you get the vendors, so you get in the trenches, and that really helped. And I invested in six deals before I was able to, you know, decide to go after my deal. So it kind of gave me a good perspective. So for you, it was a great bridge into doing it yourself by investing passively right. and then finding the kind of operators that allows you to look over their shoulder a little bit more. Maybe. Yeah, kind of shadow. <laughs> yeah. So that's great. So you were able to do some site visits with them. What kind of things did you, did you learn that you feel was really useful for the next phase? So basically, just to visit the property and see how they supervise their rehab, how they communicate with the vendors, what is the plan and how do we implement this plan. It helped me a lot that I was already doing houses, so I wasn't completely new because if people come completely like from corporate America, they never did any kind of real estate, so it's kind of new for them. So just basically visiting the properties and just seeing what they're doing, so that helped me. That's fantastic. So you did a few of these deals. When you started doing this, did you have a plan of doing it yourself one day or did you felt like the passive investing was kind of that was, that was it for you? Really, when I just joined this organization, I was just thinking passive and just kind of see like where it's going to go. Like at that time, no. But uh, again, when you surround yourself with the right people and these people are very successful, they drive you in. That's why I'm saying it's very, very important with whom you are. Because if you surround yourself with this type of people, it's just inevitable that you're going to want to do what they're doing. You just see what they're accomplishing and you just want to do the same. Well, I mean, it depends on your personality, but that's just kind of how it worked with me because I always, I'm achiever. So I see like, look, they're achieving this success. Like I can do the same. Ultimately, people from this group told me, you should do it. And my mentor, he said, you can do it. You absolutely can do it. And that's just kind of how it all started. So tell me about the transition from you actually doing it. So you invest in a handful, six of these deals and you're watching this, people are encouraging you. So what was that first foray into your first deal like? So that's again, uh, relationships. So the first deal I was able to find through relationships. So very often you look at the deals that are on market, but this one was off market originally. And the reason I heard about this is that I was introduced to this listing broker by my lender. So, and we kind of had the relationship. So I was asking him, do you have something? So, and then this deal came, I was not able to offer the price they wanted originally. Then it went on market and long story short, I was still a best bidder at the end and I was able to get the deal. So this really kind of went through relationships. So there were two people who helped me to ultimately get this deal because they knew the sellers, they knew the broker. So I say, this is a relationship business. So this is one thing that you want to start with is not just build your skills, but actually build the relationships that are going to go for years and years. That's right. So did you syndicate that one or tell us a little bit about, yeah. about uh, that deal? So this one was a syndication. I had 23 passive investors. This deal was relatively small. It's 70 units, 7-0. And the purchase price was $4 million. So um, let's say it's a good deal for first deal. So this was a small balance Freddy. I got it from my trusted lender, of course. 
The terms were very good. I raised 1.4 million and being part of this group, this was uh, very good and easy. I was kind of like some people afraid, how are you going to raise your funds? Well, just you have to communicate with these people that ready to invest in real estate. So I was part of this real estate group and I am still, that's it. I mean, it took me maybe one day, less than one day to get soft commitments from people. And the deal was good in a very good sub-market, Arlington, Texas. So That is fantastic. Yeah, and how has the deal performed since then? Yeah, so that's important thing because one thing that you buy a deal, another thing how it performs. So we were originally projected like 8.5% return year one. So we are doing 11% return distributions. And the deal, we actually fund our projects from the cash flow. So essentially, I could have been cash flowing even more, but we're just kind of sitting on CapEx money. So this deal is very, very good deal. So I knew it's going to be good, but I didn't even know that it's going to be that good. So I'm very pleased with this one. That's fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah. That's awesome. So that you had your first deal under, under wraps. And I think uh, the result is when you say this is kind of a smaller deal, I think a lot of people would argue it's kind of a big deal. And I think it's part of this group that people are around. If people right. around you are doing 150, 200 unit deals all the time, then of course, 70 units is going to seem small to you. If you're not surrounded with right. anybody who's not doing any deals or done a couple duplex, the 70 is all of a sudden a huge deal as well. So it's a, right. it's a lot about the people that you're around with all day. One key lesson is, hey guys, you got to get out of the house every once in a while and get around people that are doing what you've done. That's awesome. Yeah, because uh, like if you always with the people who do houses, for them it just seems such a jump. So really instead of communicating with them and saying how it's all difficult, how you cannot do it, how nobody is successful, you just basically go and speak with people who done it and you ask them how and you get their mindset. And for me, I mean, this was just nothing really out of the space. I thought, look, everybody's doing it. I'm just like them. I'm not worse than them. I can do it. I will be great. And um, yeah, absolutely. Just like you're saying, this didn't look like too big or anything like this. This looked just right. Yeah, that's right. So, I mean, I have this observation. The pattern that you have is you're looking at something and you're intrigued by it. So the real estate investing and you kind of go out and you look at it and you go, oh, these people are doing it really successful. And then you're like, well, can I do that? And you're like, yeah, I can do this. And then you just kind of get into it. And then you get some success and then you kind of look for the next thing. You know, passively investing in deals could be kind of crazy because your friends are like, what are you investing in? Why don't you stick in the stock market? Right. You're around people and they're like, oh, they're doing this very successful. They're getting a 10% cash and cash return. And then you're like, oh, I can do that. And then you see a bunch of people on the other side of the table. They're like, oh, I can do that. Talk a little about that mentality. I mean, where does that come from? You're just constantly just kind of pushing yourself, really. Correct. Yeah. So that's what I believe in. I believe in pushing your limits because whenever you are within your comfort zone, you're not making money. That's just by definition. When you're in a comfort zone, nothing is happening. So it always feels like, uh, oh, gosh, it's just too big. I cannot do it. And then I just say, well, if this is too big, you feel like you cannot do it, just really push and do it. So, I mean, it may take some personality or maybe this is something that you just learn and just say, look, this is how people achieve stuff. So that's just how I am. I'm just constantly pushing myself and thinking, can I do this? Yes. Like now that I did a couple of deals that are 70, 76 units. Now, of course, I'm thinking, well, I need to double that. And I'm kind of like, well, I need to be looking, you know, 100, 150. So that's my next goal, of course. And it's not just about number of units. You still want to produce. And that's the most important thing, of course. But yeah, that's basically how I am just thinking, what is my next goal? When you achieve your goal, you need to start looking for the next one. Otherwise, you kind of, uh, okay, now what do I do? 
Well, let's talk about goals because I think sometimes we overrate goals. Like you sit there and you create a five-year plan. I have a hard time sometimes creating a five-year plan because I can't even see beyond the you know horizon there. How do you kind of set goals? So basically, like you have to identify, I guess, where you are and where you want to be. So then make it your goal and just kind of um, break it into pieces. That's what I do. So I just, uh, like, for instance, when I was uh, doing houses, I was thinking, okay, I'm doing houses. That's what I want to do. And this is how I'm going to achieve it. So that's kind of how I set my goals. And uh, every New Year's, I actually set my goals. Like thinking, okay, so for this year, I'm thinking uh, I need to achieve this, that, and that. And then I'm basically kind of breaking it into smaller pieces. You know, uh, do you eat the elephant? You eat it by the piece. So that's what I'm doing, kind of like breaking into smaller pieces. Like, for instance, if I want to get a deal, what do I have to do? Well, I have to submit a loise. If you don't submit a loise, you're not, again, not going to get one accepted. Well, how often do you have to submit a loise to get a deal? Well, I'm submitting once a week now. Because if you submit once a month, you're not going to get it. You get your goal and then you go backwards and just see how do I reach this goal. And then, of course, always kind of assess, like, well, am I submitting one LOI per week or am I doing it one per month? Well, if I'm doing one per month, then I'm not going to hit my goal. So kind of I'm breaking into smaller goals. So that's... Well, smaller goals is one thing. I hear that as well. And the other thing is it's a numbers game, right? Oh, yeah. Get people all the time, oh, I've submitted an offer and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't accepted. So obviously this doesn't work. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. So that's right. I mean, you're submitting one a week. That's four a month. That's like, I don't know, yeah. a lot of LOIs every single year. Oh, and yeah. and that you're probably looking at deals that you're not submitting an LOI on. So it's definitely right. a numbers game. And then people are surprised that, oh my gosh, she's got a deal. Can you call kind of a key challenge that you've had over the last you know years with real estate investing? And what was that like? And what did you do to overcome that challenge? The biggest challenge for me to actually was uh, to get my first deal. Because you know, some people say, well, they went from 500 units to 1,000 units or 5,000 units. It may be difficult, but really going from zero to one is the biggest challenge because uh, what you have to overcome is brokers not looking at you seriously, limited partners not looking at you seriously. That was my biggest challenge is really going from zero to one. And the way I was able to overcome it is, of course, to surround myself with the right people. Just basically do the name drop and say, look, I'm invested with this guy in uh, three deals of this guy. And, oh, yeah, we know him and all that. Just basically saying these are the people on my team. So then maybe brokers will take you more seriously. And then, of course, I invested in 1,300 doors before I got my deal. So 1,300 doors, that sounds good to them because they figured, well, she knows what she's doing more or less, right? So basically, that's kind of how I was overcoming this challenge. And this was my biggest one. And kind of getting first deal and everybody would say like once you get your first deal life changes and it was the same for me like before i was chasing brokers all of a sudden i was uh, getting calls from brokers like how's your deal doing it's a game changer so this was the biggest challenge but it's also a game changer once you get it all of a sudden the new doors open for you i call that the law of the first deal i'm writing a book about this exact phenomenon oh, nice. the first deal is always the hardest takes the longest and it's typically the smallest right. and once you do your first deal the second and third follow in rapid, almost automatic succession because you become a magnet. You become a magnet for deals and money. Can you talk about that phenomenon? What happened after you did that first deal? Yeah, so this really worked like this with me. So I closed in the first one and literally two months and 10 days later, I had the second one on the contract. Two months, 10 days. So this is pretty quick. So I didn't expect this being this way and I was not really looking for deals. But like I said, Brokers were calling me themselves and just saying, do you want this? Yeah. So it just happened so that the second deal, it was completely off market. 
through the broker that I had very good relationships with. I got the second deal and I was thinking, oh my God, I mean, I didn't expect it, but here it is and it's a great opportunity. And of course, you always have to act on good opportunities that come your way. This was a different structure. It wasn't a syndication. It was a tick structure, tenants in common. So something that um, pretty much nobody done in our group. So I was a little bit on my own, but I always like to look outside the box, you know, accept the challenge. So I thought, we will do it and it's going to be nice. And this deal produces very well, pretty much just like a first deal. So what I want to touch on a little bit on that. So when the second deal came so easy, I was kind of thinking to myself, wow, I must be becoming successful. I'm a genius. So, <laughs> right. So that's another thing. When you get successful, it's important to not take it for granted. Because I always thought, wow, so I, let me see, two months and like three months, I'm going to get my next deal. And guess what? I didn't get it. Two months went by, three months, four months, and I don't have a deal. So all of a sudden I realized, wow, I mean, it not always works this way. So what I told myself, you just always, always have to work. And if the things are difficult, you just push harder. So I was just working every day. And I was sometimes asking myself, well, how come that I'm not getting a deal yet? I mean, second one came so easy. What's going on? But I always feel like, you know, when the things become difficult, that means you are getting closer. You know how these people that were looking for gold and they stopped one inch away, they sold the equipment, they said bye-bye, and the next guy bought it and found the gold. So what I'm saying, when you feel like it's very, very difficult and you just you feel like you've been pushing for months, nothing happened, I think now you're close to your goal. So do not stop. Yeah, so that's kind it, of what I was feeling. It's a very common experience that you just described. You're two feet away from the gold and there's these different stages I found the stages of an entrepreneur. When you first go in, it's kind of a leap of faith. And I think the universe right. just immediately rewards you with some early success. You know, I call it beginner's luck. You're like, oh, this is great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And <laughs> yeah. then it goes like, okay, well, now you know it's, you're on the right path. But, you know, now you got to learn other things, things like persistence. And I found from my own experience as well as others, a lot of people report a similar experience. It just, it was early success. And then it started getting a little more difficult, a little more difficult. And the people that literally pushed through that last barrier are the ones that just then took it up to a wholly new level. And then there's the other group of people who quit. And I see this a lot, and it's really unfortunate. Like, for example, I see it with people who, and maybe you've seen this in your group as well, they get a deal under contract, and it took them a while to get it under contract. And then due diligence, they discover things that maybe that aren't very good or something structural or some water or some lean or something. And now they have to walk away from the deal. And that crushes their spirits so much, they give up. They've invested all their emotion in this deal versus seeing it for what it is, which was a huge, enormous accomplishment to put something in a contract and get that far. Yes, it's a blow. But man, if they just kept with it, they've already triggered the law of the first deal now. And getting that second one on a contract is going to be easy. So talk a little bit more about the importance of persistence. Yeah, so I just always tell myself it's very important to go this extra mile. When you stop, nothing is going to happen. And another thing, when you do it, other people also learn it about your character. So just to give you an example, so I was in many best and finals. Like I want to say twice a month, I'm in best and final for some deal. Which, of course, as you know, I mean, so what? I mean, there might be several people in the same best and final. And then, of course, we don't get the deal. And we have this brokerage uh, group in DFW that they always do best and final and then second best and final. So this time I got in the second round of best and final. So I thought, woo -hoo, you know, which is, doesn't mean that I'm going to get the deal, but I already pushed this limit. Now I'm in the second best and final. And, of course, we did the seller's interview and I was hoping but then the broker calls and he said, Anna, you didn't get the deal. 
But uh, then what I'm thinking, I'm thinking, you know what? I just pushed uh, to the new level. I tried new thing for myself. This was the first time that I got a seller interview. And I'm on the second best and final round, which I never been there. And I thought this was cool. And so I'm not going to get uh, upset about this. What I did, like immediately I put the phone down. I called my lender. I said, I didn't get the deal because he was rooting for me. So I said, I didn't get the deal. We just move forward. So click, and then I'm loading financials from the next two deals. That's it. Just don't cry over it. Move forward because this is just part of this journey. Uh, you're going to stumble um, across these rocks. I mean, it's going to happen. So you just accept it that it's going to happen to you and just appreciate the fact that you just pushed forward and you just got on the second level. Then you're going to be on the next level next time. So don't get upset. Don't get emotionally attached to a particular deal. It's a numbers game. Next time it's going to be better. So that's just kind of how I yeah, see it. Stick with it. And you've pushed farther and farther along than you were before, which is really what we want to do. We want to get farther and farther into deals until one time it'll actually close. And that's great. Right. right? And if it doesn't, you know, sometimes the deals we don't do are the best ones. And you send this message to these people around you. Like, for instance, this broker, he told me, I said, gosh, I mean, I really wanted a deal. But he said, look, I know about you that if everybody falls, you're going to be the last man standing. So, you know, it's kind of like you also communicate your character traits to these people and they trust you more. They see that you're doing your best. You're constantly pushing. You're always like going this extra mile. So next time they're going to be rooting for you and trying to give you a deal just because they see that you're doing your best. So that's another thing. You know, because you send this message to these people, that's how you are. You really, you're going to get it. Everything you do, you're building up your reputation or you're tearing it down. In this case, you know, they're going to still respect you and they're going to root for you next time around. Right. Now, exactly. looking back on your real estate investing career, was there a particular aha moment that stands out for you? It was before I started my real estate career. So reading uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and I guess a lot of people say that, but uh, this is how it all started for me. Literally, when I was reading this book, I was saying, aha, uh -huh. like every page, and I was saying, literally, so is that how things are? So house is not an asset. This is actually liability, and we got to buy assets. So this was eye-opening experience for me, and it totally put everything upside down. I was thinking, wow, this is a whole new world, which I didn't know about. So that's how I got into real estate, through Rich Dad Poor Dad, and this was just completely aha moment for me. Something that I never imagined, never thought that people do it. And all of a sudden, I thought, this is a whole new life opens right there. So yeah, that's my biggest. And it is for many people, including myself. Thank you for sharing that. It was a major half moment for me as well. Obviously, you have a journey. It gets progressively bigger. And is there anything that, looking back on it, that you would do differently? Not so much that you have regret, but if someone had sat you down and said, Anna, let me show you the most direct path. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that would be nice right so what would that be so i mean if i were to kind of change something tweak something in the past i would say start earlier uh again now it's 2018 and a lot of people saying like it's kind of late in the cycle i started in 2012 so if i were to start with the uh, apartments versus houses i would have been way uh, better now so, but again, you don't know what you don't know. So that's something that I would advise myself and just say, look, just start earlier with apartments. And I don't say skip houses. Everybody's at a different comfort level. So maybe, I mean, if it makes you feel more comfortable to start with houses, that's fine. But I say to myself, just I wish I started earlier because it would have been better. Yeah, yeah, no question.
what's kind of your advice to someone who kind of wants to do what you do, which is quit their job or, you know, shore up their retirement or not have to work or be concerned about money as much anymore? What do you advise that they should do next? So I say definitely learn because a lot of people, for some reason, they pay for a formal education and then they feel like real estate is like, I don't know, something else. You don't have to learn. And I say that's not true because this is business. And just like any other business, you just have to learn and educate yourself. So what I'm doing, usually I constantly uh, learning, whether it's podcasts, which I listen to a lot of podcasts, whether it's going to these groups, presentations, whatnot. So learn, educate yourself and treat it as a business because uh, it's not a hobby. If you treat it as a hobby, it's not going to be producing any income for you anytime soon. So basically learn, treat it as a business. And uh, uh, a lot of people say knowledge is power. So I usually say action is power because when you learn, that's great. But if you just like sit there and like, oh, I'm going to learn another year or another year, well, it's not going to happen for you. So at one point, you just have to say, you know, I think I learned enough to make a first step and basically surround yourself again with the right people and just make this uh, first step because action is power. If you don't make a first step, nothing is going to happen. So sometimes I'm thinking, like, should I submit this OI? Should I call this person? Should I do this? And I'm just saying, yes, just do it. It's not going to be worse. It may be way better. So uh, action. Definitely action. And that's definitely a consistent theme. If you guys listen to my podcast, that's what everybody says is consistent action. It doesn't have to be massive, but it's got to be every single day. So yeah, thank you for, for reminding us to, to continue, continue action. <laughs> yeah. If I can just mention, yeah. just always work on your mindset. There are days when you feel kind of like when your offer doesn't get accepted or whatever, you feel kind of down and you're like, oh, I'm not going to do this and I'm not going to do that. So just work on your mindset constantly. You know, all these mechanics, that's all important. But really, you just always have to be in the right uh, mindset and always thinking positively because that's what will keep you going. And of course, like uh, if you are not passionate about real estate, just try to get passionate about it because it will be difficulties that will come your way. And if you're not passionate about it, you're just going to say, oh, hell with it. You know, it's too difficult. I'm not going to do it. So right mindset and be passionate about what you're doing because you will overcome anything if you like what you're doing. So. Let's talk about that because there's some down days and some up days. Everybody talks about right. the up days. There's some down days where you're discouraged or maybe even you know close to depression or you know close to like crying or jumping off someplace. What do you do or, <laughs> or who do you talk to when that happens so you kind of get back to where you need to be? Yeah. So actually, I do speak with several people and these people are kind of uplifting. So I say don't mingle too much with toxic people or people who are unsuccessful because there's nothing that you can get from them. If something, they're going to get energy from you. That's all that is. So I'm constantly surrounding myself with the people that succeeding in this area when I am down, which happens every once in a while because I lost so many, um, you know, LOIs. Believe me, I am down every day when they call me and say, you didn't get the deal. I'm like, gosh, again. So then I just, uh, you know, just think about the right stuff, call the right people, maybe listen to the right podcasts and just basically just get this positive energy and just think, look, these people are doing this. This person is supporting me. I kind of get back to my team and my team is amazing. And I'm just getting back to them and they all support me. And they say, "Lo, you're going to be great. You're going to get it. Just push through. So kind of uh, rely back on optimistic people, successful people, those that support you. And stay away from people who go, ah, you see, I told you. 
told you you're not going to get it. So like, you know, don't even listen. So I just kind of like close this. So. Love it. This is great. And how can people connect with you? So the best way would be going to my website, which is www.simpsonmultifamily.com. And Simpson, you spell S-I-M-P-S-O-N. So simpsonmultifamily.com. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story and your wealth of experience with us. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Michael, for inviting. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed that. But more importantly, I hope you use it as a way to inspire you to take action. I love what Anna said, that knowledge is power indeed, but action truly is power. So from this podcast episode, write down the next three things that you should be doing after you stop listening to this podcast. Go ahead and do that right now while it's still fresh in your mind. A couple of other key points that stood out for me was it's all about relationships in general. Specifically, it's about your team. So when you go start going out and you're making offers, you're interacting with brokers, surround yourself with people that you call team members so you can talk about yourself, not in terms of yourself or the lack of track record, but about the team behind you. And she brought that up repeatedly. The other one is just simply surrounding yourself with people that have done or want to do what you do. And that expands your comfort zone and it shifts your mindset a lot. And so in our environment, we have something called the Dealmakers Mastermind and the Deal Desk. Go to the michaelblank.com and click on Let's Partner at the top. And you'll see about our Deal Desk that allows you to raise money very quickly, as Anna did as well. And the way to do that is via the Dealmakers Mastermind. It's extremely affordable. We're working on a live event to get all the members together later this year in early November called Dealmaker Live. So that's coming up. Stay tuned for that. In fact, mark your calendar. Right now, we're looking at November 2nd through 4th for that. And it's all going to be about live deals, 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 deals. So make sure you lock that in. And I'll have more information about that in the next few weeks. Another thing that Anna said is stick with it and don't get discouraged. Now, we all get discouraged from time to time. Not every day is great. You know, you could lose an LOI. You might have to terminate a contract agreement. Maybe an investor walks at the last minute. There are days where you kind of go, ah, and you're really down. So make sure that you stay positive and have people around you that will give you perspective on what just happened. To get started, she says, learn, 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 right? So we want to help you with that. You know, if you've been struggling doing your first deal at all, you know, we can help. We found that you really need three things in place at any given time to do your first deal. You need a steady deal flow, you need access to funds, and you need a solid team in place. And we actually talked about some of those. And I found that when people aren't doing a deal, it's because one or more of these things are missing. So if that's the case in your situation, then we can help. Check out our coaching program. Go to themichaelblank.com forward slash coaching Schedule a free strategy session with us. And within 30 minutes or so, we'll kind of walk you through the program and we'll figure out if there's a fit. Is there a fit for you working with us and vice versa? And if there is, we found that we can greatly accelerate people's timelines and prevent some of the bigger mistakes. So if that's you, check out the michaelblank.com forward slash coaching. If you haven't done so already, check out our free ebook. It's called The Secret to Raising Money to Buy Your First Apartment Building Deal a must read. It's been read thousands of times. So go to the michaelblank.com forward slash ebook and download that. All right, guys, that's it for me today. Hope you found that useful. I will catch you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast with Michael Block. For more free podcasts, articles, and videos, go to themichaelblanc.com. There, you can also download the free ebook, The Secret to Raising Money to Buy Your First Apartment Building. Till next time.